Welcome back to Money Mile. I am your host, Justin Waller, and I am happy that you are here. Money Mile is where we help active, time-crunched people increase their confidence in their finances while increasing their fitness. We focus our education toward helping active people looking forward to an active and phased financial independence and who are ultimately interested in leaving a meaningful legacy. We package financial education into roughly mile-sized educational bits for approximately one mile on your long, steady run, and we strive to make each episode valuable for you. This is the best financial education podcast designed for triathletes and runners. Now, in our last episode, we talked with Jen O'Keefe about her journey through triathlon and the impact that triathlon has had on her life. We hope that conversation was valuable and entertaining for you. In today's episode, we are going to finish up the retirement income portion of your financial training plan at the long course level. This is similar to the nutrition and hydration component of a triathlon training program. Most triathletes have experienced a nutrition-related bonk in a race or a long training session. My hope here is to help prevent the financial equivalent of bonking in your financial plan and retirement income strategy. Back in episode 30, we looked at a few things that could potentially derail your cash flow while you are in the accumulation phase of your financial training plan. In this episode, we are going to discuss some best practices for folks in the enjoyment phase of their financial training plan. This is sometimes also called retirement, but my favorite description of this is financial independence. When you are no longer working for money and you have control over your time, energy, and skills. There has been a tremendous amount of research done in this area, and there are a few primary things I'd like to discuss today. The first of which is understanding your actual spending goal. Now, when I talk with clients about how much they want to spend in their golden years or when they're financially independent, uh, many times I get the deer in the headlights response. So a good starting point might be looking at your current lifestyle and understanding kind of what are the things that might change and what might not. If we look at your net spending now and you are spending about $5,000 a month and you feel comfortable with your lifestyle, quite honestly, that's as good a starting point as any. You might also consider some different scenarios that you might want to travel more so you can build in a specific amount into your spending plan for travel, say $10,000 a year or $20,000 a year in addition to your $5,000 a month. But there are some nuances here that I want to make sure that we're clear on. So when I talk with clients about their core spending, what I look at are the spending dollars that you would like to spend as if you were financially independent in today's dollars, not including debts, taxes, or savings. Now, the reason for this is that your debts, if you're doing it right, should eventually get paid off. Uh, so that's one factor that we can kind of rule out of the equation. The next piece is taxes. And if we're managing your tax picture correctly, your actual tax bill in retirement or in your golden years should be less than what it is today, but everyone's situation is different. So if we can separate out that tax picture, then we can get a clear understanding of what you can control. The last piece to separate out here is savings. So if you are currently spending, say, $5,000 a month, 
and you have $1,000 a month going into your 401k at work, we want to look at the $5,000 that you're actually spending because the $1,000 a month that's going into your 401k, essentially, once you are financially independent, we assume that you won't be doing that anymore. So we're really just looking at that core spending number. So again, your spending minus debts, taxes, and savings is what I call your core spending amount. If we look at that core spending amount, many people will start with that, and there's been some research done in the last several years that said if you are retired, your expense level goes down to somewhere between 85 to 90% of your core spending number. In reality, everyone's situation's different. If you have been working 50 to 60 hours a week at a desk job and you really want to travel the world, you might end up with a higher spending amount than what you had had previously. Uh, your employment situation might be such that all of your travel-related expenses have been reimbursed and what have you, whereas now they're all going to be on your dime. So you need to understand where your difference is. I think looking at your current spending level is a great starting point, and then adjust for significant differences, whether it be travel or new hobbies or, or something of that nature. Another aspect of the actual spending that you might experience in the future is that your expenses are typically not going to be constant. There are a few different patterns that we typically see, but the most common one is not a straight line indefinitely up and to the right, as it were, into the future. We have a tendency to see phases of spending. So early retirees or early financially independent folks, I typically refer to as the go-go years, when the first maybe it's five or 10 years when you're healthy and active and traveling and doing all the things that you want to do, uh, your expenses can actually go up in a notable fashion. After you've been all the places you wanted to go and you've done all the things you wanted to do, there is what I refer to as the slow-go years. So you might still be doing things, but instead of traveling four times a year, you might travel once a year or maybe uh, twice a year, and one of them is to go see the grandkids. So you might have a slow-go period of time. And then finally, we end up with a no-go period. The no-go is typically where your physical challenges might manifest themselves, you might be having health problems, and you might no longer be comfortable piling yourself onto a plane to travel 15 hours to some exotic destination, and uh, we just end up not going uh, at that point. The reality is that this is also typically when higher medical expenses come in. If we were to visualize this, the first period of time, the go-go years, might be a higher than normal expense level the expenses might taper down a little bit during those slow-go years, and in the no-go years, the expenses can actually go back up. Everyone's situation's different. If we start with that 100% target of your current core spending level, then that's going to give us a trajectory for that, and we need to understand that things will change in the future, and we need to be able to adjust accordingly. The next area of discussion around retirement income is a sustainable withdrawal rate. Now, you may have read some information online or, or watched some videos online about the 4% rule. The 4% rule was originally crafted by a financial advisor by the name of Bill Bangin. This was done back in the 90s, and Bill had done some research and came up with the 4% rule as a test that would be difficult, if not impossible, to break a portfolio. So essentially, what course can I blindly follow and have minimal risk of running out of money? That was the problem that Bill was trying to solve, is what course can I set that I would have a hard time breaking and still end up with money? 
There are lots of different nuances to the sustainable withdrawal rate. And for some folks, it's really great. It's just easy math and it gives them a good starting point. But there's things that you need to keep in mind. The first of which is this only looks at the portfolio. So it typically has no impact or no inclusion of social security or pension income. And it also typically does not include the value of your primary home. Uh, so if you happen to have significant equity in your primary home and you are envisioning that as a resource for future use, that might not be included in that typical 4% rule. By looking at that 4% rule, there are some unintended consequences of this. The first of which is that you may end up working longer than necessary. Uh, the 4% rule sets a pretty high target. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. The next part of that is that you might end up spending less or having lower lifestyle than you might otherwise afford. And it can also leave a larger legacy at the end of your plan than you might like. And I'll share with you a little bit of why. So the 4% rule that rate sets you on a path that your portfolio will likely grow throughout your lifetime. And roughly two-thirds of the time, when you actually look at the analysis of the portfolios, you will actually end up with more money than when you started. So the goal, again, Bill Bengen's goal back in the day was to not run out of money. So what you end up with on a static path is a situation where you, again, two-thirds of the time, you could end up with more than you started. If leaving a significant legacy is important to you, then great. A 4% rule can be a great starting point. If that is not a primary driver for you, you might want to consider some other approaches that might result in a better balance throughout your lifetime. Many of the clients I work with have two goals. They want to live comfortably with minimal financial worry, and they want to enjoy their life and the resources they have saved. So we end up with two things that we want to avoid. We don't want to run out of money or live on rice and beans so they can leave a mattress stuffed full of money for their heirs. Finding the balance between these things can be difficult. This is where a new era of retirement income distributions has come to the forefront. Specifically, it's referred to as dynamic retirement income strategies. So if you think about your trajectory that you're on and the path that Bill Bangin and his crew might have set for you 30 some odd years ago, do you have the capacity to adjust your expenses in retirement? This is where that dynamic retirement income piece comes in. As a financially independent person, this is kind of like your financial superpower. A lot of research has been done on spending levels relative to portfolio values if you have capacity to adjust your spending level. While the 4% rule was meant as a set-it-and-forget-it approach, as long as you're managing your portfolio correctly, if you have expense flexibility, you might be able to afford a higher starting expense level or a lower starting asset level to consider yourself financially independent, enjoying your lifestyle a little bit more along with your health, and then ratchet down if needed. While Bill Bangin targeted 4%, if you have income flexibility, you could go as high as 5.6%, and I've heard some argue even higher. This is not a guarantee, and this does require monitoring and the ability to make changes when needed. For example, if you want to spend $100,000 at the 4% level, that means that you need to reach $2.5 million in your portfolio to consider yourself financially independent. If you want $100,000 at a 5.6% level, you need to reach $1.8 million. 
we still need to take into account taxes and inflation, several other things as well, but for the sake of this simple example, we can see a distinct difference, a roughly $700,000 difference. One other nuance that is incorporated into dynamic retirement income is legacy plan. So what is the minimum you would like to leave as a legacy? Related to this, understanding your needs for medical expenses in your financially independent years, uh, things like long-term care as well, these things also need to be included. But the legacies are different or can be different based on your fixed income stream. So the amount of fixed income that you have, as well as the stability of fixed income you have, can also have an impact on the legacy that you need to have down the road. And when I refer to the, the stability of income, do you have one fixed income source or do you have multiple sources? What is your family situation? Do you have children? Are you single? No kids? Charitable beneficiaries? There are lots of different nuances to this. So when you think about the legacy that you would like to leave and the resources you have available, there are lots of different moving pieces you might want to be aware of. So for a triathlon example, I would compare this to a functional threshold power and relative perceived effort as an example. If you are a pro-level triathlete and your functional threshold power is, say, 350, even on the Wednesday night worlds in your town, you're probably going to feel a lot easier than someone with a functional threshold power of 200. Now, portfolio withdrawal rates are very similar. If you have $10 million in the bank and you want to spend $100,000 per year, your portfolio doesn't have to work very hard to replenish it. It needs to generate about 1% to generate that income. Now, if you want to spend $100,000 but you only have $1 million in your portfolio, it's going to have to work a lot harder to replace that and not run out of money. Your portfolio has to earn 10% to replace that spending your portfolio would need to work relatively harder with $1 million to generate the same income as $10 million. Your $1 million portfolio might be able to hang with that distribution for a short period of time, but it is likely going to blow up at some point. This is very similar to me trying to ride with a pro triathlete. I could probably hold onto their wheel for a short period of time, but the chances are against me finishing the ride with that pro. Fixed income, like pensions or Social Security in this example, would be like having an e-bike. Having an extra reserve of power that is not coming from my legs, like an extra income that I am not relying on from my portfolio to generate. When I work with clients who have a fixed income, they have a tendency to do one of two things. Either rely upon it solely or mostly disregard it. So it's, again, the extremes of that scenario. In the case of Social Security, I can understand why people discount it, and there are a lot of arguments for not fully relying on 100% of the Social Security amount that is showing up on your statement. If you actually read the statements, they'll tell you that the system will not be able to pay all of their obligations by 2035. So if you are over the age of 50, I think there will be some Social Security for you. But a healthy dose of skepticism here is warranted maybe only look at 50% or 75% of what they say they're going to pay you. If you have other fixed income, like a pension, I recommend you understand what factors are involved with your pension and understand how to maximize it. If you want some ideas here, go back to episode 16. The title of that one was Five Ways to Maximize Your Pension. Some great tips in that. So what do we do with all of this? When I work with clients in the enjoyment phase, we will typically set an income target for the portfolio and set up what we call guardrails for adjustments. 
we know what distribution rate we are looking at, and we talk about the long-term benefits and risks. If your portfolio goes below a certain value, we're going to need to reduce expenses or tighten the belt financially until the portfolio recovers. We don't have to worry about what if the market has a bad day and can we still go on that trip with the family? We know what portfolio value will trigger a change and how big that initial change needs to be. If your portfolio goes over a certain level and you do not want to leave a mattress stuffed full of money, we should look at ways to improve your lifestyle. Sometimes that is bringing in some more help around the house, or maybe that looks like more travel or gifts to the kids so they can enjoy the funds while you're around. I mentioned earlier that I want you to avoid bonking financially. And as it pertains to your retirement income, this is like running out of money in retirement or spending your portfolio down to an uncomfortable level. If you bonk on a ride, chances are you can still turn the pedals, but you can't put the power in that you would like. This is like living on social security or pension income only in retirement because you spent your portfolio too early. Many a long training ride has been saved by gummy worms and a Coke. But if you are in retirement and unexpectedly running out of money, you need to start making changes immediately. There are several changes that you can make. Most of them come back to some level of reducing expenses or reducing the pressure on your portfolio. It could be scaling back the annual trip, downsizing your home, or figuring out a way to pay less in taxes. For you, it might even make sense to evaluate a reverse mortgage, but you have to do something to delay that financial bonk. I don't recommend gambling on the next hot stock tip or looking for a miracle. Focus on what you can control and look to minimize your expenses. As with most things, what you do is more important than what you know. So we're going to talk about a bit of homework for this episode. If you are in the accumulation phase, think about your current spending plan for your financial independence and think about your core expense level. This is the amount you want to spend each month without debts, taxes, or savings. Come up with a number, and it's okay to make it up here, but you need to test it. I suggest having a mock retirement month and see how close you are to the right number. So if you think, $5,000 should do it, the first of the next month, pay your mortgage, don't worry about taxes, and don't worry about saving any money, put $5,000 in your checking account and see how the month goes. You don't have to be perfect here. You just want to know if you are getting close. It doesn't have to be $5,012.17, but $5,000 versus $10,000 will help your planning a lot. If you are in the enjoyment phase, Look at how much you took out of your portfolio last year. Divide that amount by the amount of money in your portfolio. This was your actual distribution rate last year. If you spent $40,000 and you have $1 million in your portfolio, this is $40,000 divided by $1 million equals 4%. Think about what your goals are and decide, is that the right number for you? If you don't know, consult your friendly neighborhood financial planner and get their input. I hope this was a valuable investment of your time. Your life should be better because you join us here. If you have specific financial questions you'd like us to address, please let me know by emailing me at info at wallerfc.com. If you work out, everything else will too. And I look forward to talking with you next time on Money Mile.